Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello everybody, Carlos Torre here. It's time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Thank you all for coming in and listening to this show. Really do appreciate it. But before I do, a couple of plugs out of the way to start. Head on over to Fightful.com for all your latest news in pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. The new Fightful Boxing Newsletter where I take a look at Tyson Fury's win over Tom Schwartz and what it means for the future. A little preview of the Andrew Cancio versus Alberto Machado fight. Recapping the madness that was the WBSS this past weekend. And I give my prediction for the rest of the year in boxing and there's a couple that may seem not that bold there's a couple that may seem really bold and there's one that I'm not going to tell you which one but there is one where it basically got ruined like hours after it got posted up on Fightful.com but hey that's what happens when you make these predictions articles you never know what happens when you write them they could be busted up hours after they get published live so don't I look foolish but regardless of that FIFLBoxing.com has all your the latest news in the world of boxing, whether it be interviews, columns, newsletters, news articles, recaps, interviews, the whole nine yards. And the same goes for Fightful MMA and FIFLWrestling.com. We got tons and tons of coverage on everything you want in combat sports and in pro wrestling. But with that being said, it's time for the Fightful Boxing Podcast. And boy, we have a real loaded show today. We got Nick Skoke no, uh, from, no, from Ring TV. Who is who is kind enough to join uh, to join me and talk about the Kazuto Ioka versus Aston Palikte fight, which was streamed on UFC Fight Pass on Wednesday morning, Wednesday 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Eastern on the I'm um, not Eastern Pacific time. If you're out there in the West Coast, we're gonna be talking a lot more about that. You also get to hear from Andrew Cancio and Alberto Machado, who 
was in a recent media call, and I took part in it, and then I got to ask them a couple of questions regarding not just the fight that they got tomorrow, June 21, at the Fantasy Spring Resorts Casino on The Zone, but also of what the ramifications for their careers could be like if they win their next fights or lose their next fights. Lots of, lots of good stuff on this show, but before we get all into that, Obviously, the biggest news story, or I guess the biggest story in boxing now uh, today, remains the state of the heavyweight division. But now the focus has shifted on to Tyson Fury and his win over Tom Schwartz, second round TKO in Las Vegas on ESPN Plus. And my God, it was. This is a bit, this is a lot to unpack here. First of all, let's talk about the fight itself. It was nothing. Worth watching, not, not whatsoever. Tom Schwartz, unbeaten German fighter who was ranked really, really high by the WBO. Uh, perhaps much too high after seeing the performance that he gave out on Saturday night. So, when you're kind of looking at this fight... And you figured, boy, you know, Tyson Fury is going to you know, show off a little bit. Not really going to try his hardest. He's not going to try to end this quickly. He wants to give the fans a good show. Maybe this will go six, seven, eight rounds. Might even go even longer. But I was, but I was half right in that sense that he was kind of showing off a little bit. But my God, he took care of Tom Schwartz real quick. Schwartz wasn't able to land really anything concrete. Tyson Fury, his you know his his head movement was outstanding. He really was you know avoiding punches left and right up against the ropes. It was kind of you know somewhat Ali-ish with the whole rope of those strategy. But you know it was you're not saying Tyson Fury is Muhammad Ali, but you know there you can see some similarities in certain moments of the fight. Fury drops Tom Schwartz in the second round, and right after that, Fury unleashes this combination of punches, and, st and the fight is stopped in the second round. So, that even lasts two complete rounds, and Tyson Fury looked really, really good in this fight. He looked in phenomenal shape, loved the hand speed, loved the upper body movement that he had in this fight, but let's be honest, this fight was what it was meant to be. It was, it was kind of like in the, in the old pro wrestling days when you have a new star or a new guy, a big monster, you want to make him out to look good. So you send out these weaker guys who are not meant to win or not even meant to even put up a fight and just job out to the bigger star and just to sort of make him look good. And that's what happened on Saturday night. Tyson Fury... Is the new acquisition for Tom Ring, the new big name for ESPN. Tom Schwartz is unbeaten German, but no one really gave him a chance to win. Not in the same sense of, you know, when Andy Ruiz fought Anthony Joshua, you know, where some people were thinking, you know, he's the underdog, but he has some legitimate skills and could potentially give Joshua some trouble. There was nothing about Tom Schwartz that really gave Tyson Fury any trouble whatsoever. I mean, he has a good right hand, but Tyson Fury's faced guys with better right hands. Guys like Steve Cunningham and Deontay Wilder. He's not as experienced as some of the other fighters that Fury has faced throughout his career. Fury is, looks in phenomenal shape. Tom Shores just wasn't able to do anything. He doesn't have the footwork, didn't have the hand speed, didn't have the necessary power to knock him down, and... 
the end result was Tyson Fury second round stoppage. So, overall, I thought, you know, the, the fight itself, the fight itself, I would give this, if I was grading, if I was a teacher and a student were to give me this fight as their final project, I'd give this a, an F+. This fight was not good. It was not, you know, it was nothing worth watching whatsoever. You can, you've probably seen clips already online. If you haven't seen the fight, you've probably already seen clips of Fury dodging, you know, a, a combination from Schwartz and just kind of making Schwartz look like an amateur out there. It's, it's almost borderline ridiculous. But the whole purpose of this fight was not to have a great fight. It was for Fury to give us the show. And in that respect, I feel like that did succeed. You know, you look at Tom Tyson Fury, he was coming out to, and I, and I personally love this, he was coming out to Living in America from James Brown. It was dressing up, he dressed up exactly like Apollo Creed in Rocky IV when Apollo faced Ivan Drago. And, and you know, I thought it was really funny for a couple of reasons. One, that he would do that, he really is embracing this, you know, the American fan base, and it was really interesting. Secondly, is the fact that, you know, it made me wonder, did Tyson ever really watch Rocky Four? Because if you remember what happened in Rocky Four, and by the way, spoiler warning on this three-decade-old movie, I don't even know why I should have to put out a spoiler warning, but whatever. Apollo Creed dies. Ivan Drago kills him in the ring because Rocky, who was in his corner, was too dumb to throw the towel. Referee was too inept to stop the fight, and Apollo Creed died in the ring. Thankfully, we have nothing as close, as serious as what we saw between Tyson Fury and Tom Schwartz. The worst thing was... Tom Schwartz, I believe, broke his nose, or at least it looked like he broke his nose early on in the fight from, from a, I believe it was a right hand from Fury that landed like on the bridge of the nose. So, nothing too serious. Was really happy to see, you know, Tyson Fury, you know, be a good sport and, you know, just really give, sing a lot of praise to Tom Schwartz before and after the fight, really. So, that was a look nice, but this was a spectacle. As a show, as entertainment, this could get, you know, a B plus, A minus. We're taking the fight out of the equation. I would, I would give it that, you know. So, there's, there's also a lot to unravel here. When you're kind of looking at this fight, and this entire thing between Tyson Fury and Top Rank, there's a couple of things that really needs to be discussed. Number one, and this has been something that ESPN has been regurgitating ad nauseum is this whole notion of Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. And, you know, that's been, that was, you know, that was like a, a key word, key phrase that ESPN has been saying so many times in the last couple of weeks. It got to the point that it was so incredibly annoying. And no one really know, and, and it kind of created this weird discussion as to the legitimacy of the lineal heavyweight championship, or at least lineal titles in today's era of boxing. And I think that's a really interesting idea to kind of discuss, because 
in the olden days, when governing bodies were not the norm, or they weren't as, you know, as abundant as they are today, because aside from the WBA, WBO, WBC, and IPF, you have so many other governing bodies, you know, that are smaller and less significant, but they're there nonetheless. And so, you kind of wonder, in, in the olden day, the lineal title was, you know, it kind of represented the idea that he, this guy is the real champion. It doesn't matter what other belts he had, what sanctioning body he represented, or where he came from. This man was universally recognized as the champion of the world. The best of the best. That's what the lineal title represented. But we kind of moved on to the, moved into the 21st century. The idea of the lineal title being, uh, meaning what it meant back then, it kind of died down a bit. Not, that's not to say that the lineal title has no significance whatsoever. I feel like there may be some idea, and it does matter to a certain extent, but because of the confusion and because of the constant talk about Titan Fury being the lineal champion, because he beat Vladimir Klitschko a couple of years ago, but then he also took that two-year, two-and-a-half-year break from boxing. And it kind of created this, I, this discussion is, should Tyson Fury still be the lineal heavyweight champion of the world? Because even though he did take the break, he never lost. When he fought Deontay Wilder, the fight ended in a draw, so you can't say Wilder beat Fury because that didn't happen. And so he, Fury should technically is still the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. And I get it from ESPN's side and from Tyson Fury's side why they want to keep saying lineal heavyweight champion of the world because they want to have something. They, they want something tangible, even though uh, even on a conceptual level. Tan something tangible for people to figure out who's the best of the best. And in today's world, because of how diluted the lineal titles are and no one really has much of an idea how that's decided or who is the lineal champion of every weight class its meaning has lost a lot in in recent years and so when i look at tyson fury the lineal heavyweight champion or at least what they believe is still the lineal heavyweight champion of the world i do believe that tyson fury maybe still has it but but let's be honest, when you're the lineal champion of the world, or when you're the world champion, just about of anything, it's easy to say you're the best of the best because you hold a title or you hold a belt. But when you take two and a half years off and you come back and you start off and you fight guys like Sefer Safari, Francesco Pianetta, and Tom Schwartz, you know, your credibility does go down a little bit when you keep telling yourself that you are the best in the world, but then you're fighting guys whom no one has any idea who they are. And in the cases of those three fights, all of those fights ended up being complete and utter jokes. And there's no disrespect to Safari, Pianetta, and Schwartz. But no one in their right mind would think that they are, cap they are worthy contenders 
for the lineal heavyweight championship of the world. And these and the thing about it is because there's you know no governing bodies that kind of you know that the decides on what's the lineal championship, you know who's the champion, who they should face next. You know, in reality, Tyson can spend the next ten years of his career fighting the Sefer Seferis and the Tom Shorts of the world, never lose. And you can make your claim, you're the, I'm still the lineal champion because I never, never lost. And while there may be truth to that, at the same time, you really haven't done anything to truly show us you're the best in the world or that you're better than Deontay Wilder or Andy Ruiz or Anthony Joshua. Really, it's... I always understand, for me personally, when I looked at... A title, any title whatsoever. It's I always looked at it as not what the title could mean to you, or for example, what does the title do for your career, but what can you do to bring meaning and credibility to that title? And when you look at guy at, at all at all heavyweight champions in reality, there is you know. Let's face it, not the, none of the champions have really faced anyone credible. And of course, I'm, not, I'm excluding Andy Ruiz in this conversation because he just won the, the unified title. So he's so so in, the, in this example, I'm using Anthony Joshua instead of Anthony, uh, Andy Ruiz. When you look at Anthony Joshua, you look at the guys he's faced. For how's his career? He beat Charles Martin, who, you know, won the title because Tyson Fury vacated you know, do you had Tyson? You had Anthony Joshua beating Charles Martin. Then you had him beat. Um, I'm not even forgetting Dominic Brazil. You had him face Dominic Brazil, and you and he knocks him out in two rounds. Then you fight a an old way past his prime, Vladimir Klitschko, who hadn't fought for two and a half years, and you know. And, and even then, uh, uh, back then, Vladimir Klitschko was still one of the best heavyweights in the world. But, th but that version of Vladimir Klitschko was nowhere near at his absolute peak. And then afterwards, you got Carlos Takam and Joseph Parker. Even though that was a unification. But then afterwards, Alexander Povetkin. It's nothing. It's not real good. It's not the incredible list of fighters that one would expect when you think of the world heavyweight champion. Anthony Joshua didn't face a murderer's row of fighters to get to the three belts that he had. And not only that, he was going up against originally Jarrell Miller, who was a fine heavyweight, but, he, but he's not really anyone who anyone thought would put in their personal top five. Not by a long shot. And I'm kind of looking at everything and it's like, you know, Joshua has been groomed very well and very well protected by matchroom boxing in terms of the type of opponents that he's facing. And overall, maybe I, we all kind of got swept up on what Joshua's abilities are compared to the level of competition that he's faced. And then you look at Deontay Wilder, I mean, let's be honest, the, the, the list of opponents that he's had throughout his tie ring it really hasn't been any uh, a great 
list. Either Eric Molina, Johan Duhalpas, Arthur Spilka, Chris Ariola, Gerald Washington, Bermain Stavern, and then you have two really good fights against Luis Ortiz and Tyson Fury, followed by Dominic Brazil. Again, not another great list. And I will give Wilder a little bit more leniency when criticizing his resume because some of those fights were actually backup fights because the original opponents fell through. But it's not like those opponents were that much better than what Wilder ultimately fought in those times. So it's when you know when when you really want to show your showcase yourself at the best heavyweight in the world. You have to prove it. And the only way to prove it is to face the best fighters out there. And for Tyson Fury, for Deontay Wilder, for Anthony Joshua, for Andy Ruiz, it's those three other fights. All between those four fighters fighting each other, that's how you prove you're the best fighter in the world. And it doesn't matter what titles are at stake. It doesn't matter... You know what, whether or not the lineal title is credible or not, or it should even be a thing in today's boxing. What matters is what the best fights are, and if they are being made. And sim there's they're simply not being made up until now, when you know Anthony Joshua is essentially has to take a rematch against Andrew Reese because there's no guarantee if you forego the rematch that you'll ever get it. Let's be honest. There's no reason why, you know, as much as some people say, well, maybe Anthony Joshua shouldn't get back into the ring so quickly against Andrew Reese. Well, here's the problem. If you go in, if you forego the rematch and decide to take time, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get a chance to face Anthony, uh, uh, Andrew Reese again. And that's the thing. Doesn't matter if you're if you know you're mentally compromised. You have plenty of time. the The rematch is going to take at the end of the year. You have plenty of time to recover, both physically and mentally. As for Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, the the rematch was already there. It was already laid out. It should have been made earlier this year, but instead you forego. You decide to have, wait until next year or have or build up to next year. If it works and you have the rematch and it's a super, you know, a super successful event, perfect. That's awesome. However, if it doesn't happen or if one of them stumbles or one of them gets injured, and I hope to God that's not the case, or if one of them loses before we get to those big fights, you don't get to complain about those, about the fights not being made. And I'm talking specifically to the boxers and the promoters and the network's executives. Because you had the chance to do it, but no, but you instead decide to wait and try to build up and get to squeeze a little bit more dollars out of sponsors and consumers and the networks. When clearly the demand is there, there's no reason to wait any longer. WBC, lineal, WBA, WBO, IBF, the belts in these cases don't matter all that much on its own. What matters is what you do with those titles. What matters is what fights are you taking to make those titles legitimate? Because we have this issue in boxing where there are way too many titles. And, you know, I wish we had one singular world champion in a perfect world that would be the case. 
But that's not the case. We don't live in a perfect world. But we do live in a world where the big fights can be made. It's just a matter of whether or not they will actually pull the trigger and do them right now instead of waiting next year, two years down the road to make it happen. So now moving on to the World Boxing Super Series, which has really been a... It's been a very weird tournament thus far. We had the complications between the quarterfinals and the semifinals of this season. The financial issues, you know, the whole controversy between Ivan Boranchik and the World Boxing Super Series regarding delayed payments and the lack of communication. Ultimately, that got smoothed over, but it's been a very, very weird tournament thus far. And it got even weirder this past weekend when we had the final semifinal card. This one in Riga Labia. And you had the final two cruiserweight fights. You had, first off, you had Junior Dorticos against Andrew Tabidi. And Junior Dorticos gave us a hell of a knockout late in the fight. Scores a vicious right hand to the chin of Andrew Tabidi and knocks him out. Becomes the new IBF cruiserweight champion and advances to the finals. That's not the craziness that I was referring to. I'm talking about the fact that the next fight... Shistov Glovaki, and I hope I pronounced it right, if not, I apologize, and Mighty's Briedis. So, for those of you who have not seen this fight, I, I it's hard to really put it into words what happened in this fight. But here's the main, but here's the gist of it. And I recommend going out of your way to find this fight because it was incredible. The second round had Glavaski throwing a an illegal punch to the back of Brigadis' head. Clearly, that's you know illegal. Should have been maybe I wouldn't be mad if they took off a point of Glavaski. So what happened was. Glavaski hits the illegal punch behind the back of the head. And you have Briedis retaliate by dropping Glavaski with a real bad elbow, like a UFC-style elbow, to the chin. And Glavaski goes down. Referee Robert Bird didn't see the, the elbow at all. He thought that Glavaski was... Was actually flop was actually faking all of it, trying to it was all crazy and, and instead of trying to give them, you know, five the five minutes to rest that you give in a lot of cases such as this one, or in the cases of low blows, Robert just keeps telling Glavaski, get up, get up, you know, just hurry up and get up and fight. And gave and Glavaski was clearly hurt, clearly you know, not in the right state of mind, and maybe those extra five minutes could have been used, and maybe he could have came back in the fight. But regardless, the fight continues. It's still the second round, buying you. They both keep brawling. Briedis knocks down Glavaski. This is real hard, I believe it was the right hand, drops him, and Glavaski gets hurt. You know, this fight could be over any second now. He gets back up. The bell rings. And, you know, I'm no boxing referee or judge or broadcaster or a boxer for that matter. But that usually means the round's over. They ring the bell to signify the end, uh, the end of the second round. And Robert Bird, the referee, never listened to it. 
he didn't hear the bell. And they kept fighting, and they kept fighting, and and it was really bizarre. Everybody was wondering, why are they still fighting? The bell is being rung. The bell is still ringing as we are ta- as they are fighting. It's minute three seconds, five seconds in. They keep fighting, they keep fighting. And then 10 seconds after the round was supposed to be over, Briandis knocks down Glavosky once again. And it was it was so surreal. Glavosky didn't... Glavosky was in no shape to continue. And Robert Burge would just sit there and it's like, I mean, I don't even listen. I didn't hear the bell, so not my problem. Glavosky was clearly hurt. Round three starts. Briandis knocks out Glavosky, becomes the new WBO Cruiserweight Champion, and advances to the finals. So now comes this whole controversy with Glavosky, the WBSS, the WBO, Robert Bird. And by the way, Robert Bird's wife, Adelaide Bird, was scoring the fight. So, if you know, just, just add another layer of controversy while you're at it. But this whole mess is really, really left a real sour taste in so many people's mouths because this was a horrible, horrible fight. It shouldn't count. Glavosky had every right in the world to protest this fight, and his management and you know his team is planning on doing so. This fight should be considering no contest. It shouldn't be you know it shouldn't count towards the record books. Glavosky didn't deserve to lose his world title that way. He didn't deserve to get screwed out of a shot at another world title at the World Boxing Super Series Championship against Junior Dorte. Goes. It really, it was so incredibly unfair for him. First of all, there's a lot to unpack here. There's so much that went wrong into all of this. First of all, and perhaps, you know, was the elbow that Briadis threw. And it wasn't, you know, one, an, an, an incidental elbow or anything. Like, you, in the post-fight interviews, you listen to him and you can tell, oh, you know, he threw a punch in the back of my head, you know, and I, I you know, he fought dirty, I'm going to fight dirty. He basically was admitting that he threw the elbow on purpose. So, first of all, that should be grounds for disqualification. In my opinion. Or at the, at the least, that's two points off of Briadis' score. That's at least two. So, where do you go from there? Well, there should be a disqualification. It's fine. You want to do it? You want to ignore that? You want to ignore that? Fine. Let's move on to after the second round ended. Again, the fact that Briadis got knocked down when he was clearly hurt, still reeling from the elbow, you know, it shouldn't have counted. That, that should, that again, it should be counted as a no contest because Briadis was clearly in no condition to continue. It was so bad, it's, you know, it's not even funny. I seriously, look up this fight. This fight's crazy. It's bad. It's I really don't like how it was refereed. One of the worst refereeing jobs I have ever seen in boxing in a world title fight with so much at stake. Aside from a a title, but another title later on in the future. But all and the world boxing super series title. There's just so much wrong with this, and it kind of got me thinking. Well, should there be a an age of you know when referees have to retire because you can because clearly something needs to be addressed you know whether it be on the refereeing side on the judging side there was something not right 
and hearing and, and the fact that Robert Byrd said, I didn't hear the bell. Now, I can't say, you know, he has faulty hearing because I wasn't there at the venue. But when you listen to the fight, you, you were listening to the fight on the zone and you were watching it or wherever you were watching it uh, in the, over the world, you can clearly tell that Briad, that the, the bell sounded clearly. Uh, there was no controversy whether or not the bell was too low or no one rang the bell in time. You could clearly hear the bell being sounded and the fact that it wasn't was very, very concerning. And I'm just finding it really hard to believe that such a thing can happen. It's so bizarre. And I'm trying to think, like, maybe Robert Byrd's too old to retire. Now, I'm not trying to be ageist, but clearly you need to be in the right state of, state of mind. You need to have perfect hearing, maybe better than perfect hearing. And the best judgment, you know, best eyesight. You have to be in peak physical condition to prevent stuff like this from happening. And it clearly happened. Clearly something needs to be changed. I don't know what. I don't know what's going to happen to the World Boxing Super Series final. I don't know if the fines are going to remain the same. I don't know if they're going to have to do a rematch. I don't think the rematch is going to happen, by the way. Not, not, a rematch, not that a rematch shouldn't happen. I don't think it will. Because you look at all the financial issues the tournament has had in, in the last few months. And now you're telling me that they're, they're going to pony up another fight card. Bring up more expensives in terms of purses, securing a venue, you know, working with the zone and pushing back the entire second season. I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. So I feel bad for Glovaki. At worst, Glovaki should be ordered to fight the winner of the World Boxing Super Series. For the unified WBO and IBF titles, he should he he should absolutely get the first chance, you know, regardless of who wins. Doesn't matter who wins, Glavaki deserves a chance to fight again. Now I don't know if Glavaki is gonna be able to is fully recover because he got beat real hard, and he wasn't just you know it wasn't a, a punch that knocked him out and that's it. No, he was elbowed. He didn't recover. Then kept getting beat. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.
fucking up. Then he got dropped three times. And clearly something was not right with him. So I don't know how you know how bad he how badly damaged he is or anything like that, but there was there was clearly something. So in a perfect world we would get a rematch. But if you ask me what really will happen, I'd say Dorticos versus Briades is still going to be your final for the two world titles. And I believe Glovatsky should get a, a chance to fight for both belts against the winner in 2020. And now moving on to previewing the biggest fight of this weekend. And that's clearly Andrew Cancio versus Alberto Machado for the WBA Super Featherweight Championship, the regular title, the secondary title, even though, and I've had my, and I've already explained this a long time ago, but this title should be considered the top title, not the, not the super title that Gervonta Davis has, but that's neither here nor there. This is a real, real interesting fight. I love the first fight between the two. Andrew Cancio recovered from a knockdown 90 seconds into the fight back in February against Machado. And then he just caught fire and he dropped Machado three times just a couple of rounds later and becomes the new champion. It was all great and I loved it. It was fantastic. Now the two of them are going to be rematching once again on The Zone on Friday, June 21. And we're going to get... A lot of excitement, a lot of fireworks in this one. Also on the card, you got Angel Tito Acosta, the WBO Life Flyweight Champion, who is one of the most exciting guys in boxing today, in my opinion. He's a tremendous knockout artist. And, you know, every time you have been, you put him on the ring, you're going to see something real fun and real spectacular. But the focus is now on the Cancio Alberto Machado fight. And there's a lot of interesting things at stake. Number one is what's going to happen if Alberto Machado loses this fight once again. And, you know, obviously he's an extremely tall super featherweight. He's 5'10". It's a wonder he actually can make weight at this point of his career. But it's funny that, you know... The whole weight discussion thing is is so prevalent with Machado because after the fight back in February against Cancio, he said, I'm not sure if I'm going to be taking the rematch. I want a rematch, but I might actually have to move up and wait. And so I asked Alberto Machado, what about the fight? You know, what played into the role? Uh, what, what played into the decision making in trying to and going for the rematch instead of moving up and wait? And whether or not he still has future at 130 pounds, regardless of what happens against Andrew Cancio. Take a listen. A couple of questions for Alberto. Um, Alberto, obviamente tu meta es ganar el campeonato mundial. Pero el, y tú habías hablado sobre posiblemente subir en peso después de esa primera pelea. El resultado de esta revancha contra Andrew quizás pueda ser uh, determinar de, uh, si tú vas a subir de peso o no, dependiendo de cómo va el resultado. The, the question is that before this, it has been your goal to win a world title, but you have talked about moving up in weight. Will this result determine if you stay in your weight division or if you move up to 135 pounds? Yeah, ahora... Eh, ahora este, tengo una gran motivación y solo quiero eh, ganar esta pelea poder el campeonato de vuelta eh, ya nosotros teníamos ya planeado que este era mi último año en 60 libras porque saben ya mi estatura 
eh, me alcance, eh, tengo, tengo tengo potencial para, para subir de división y, y pues eh, tengo dos cosas promotoras que están llevando mi carrera, que son Mirko Promotion y Goldemus Promotion, y ellos pues eh, ahora que salga mejor, pero mi salud eh, eh, en cuanto a lo que será la división de peso, pues es algo que ya este año sería el último año en este peso, posiblemente. You know, right now I have a great motivation, which is to win this fight and become a world champion. Again, we had a plan since before that this would be my last year at this weight, uh, because if you just look at my height and my reach, um, I have what it takes to be able to move up in weight. And obviously my promoters also have been telling me as well, who are Miguel Cotto Promotions and Golden Boy. And with regard to my health, uh, when it comes to moving up in divisions, we have decided that this year will be my last year at 130. Últimamente, ¿qué cambios tú hiciste en este campamento comparado al último? The question is, what change did you do in this camp when you compare it to what you did for the previous camp for the previous fight? El tiempo, el tiempo en que saqué para para prepararme para esta pelea eh, ha sido la diferencia de, de la manera en la que me siento y y creo que va a ser la diferencia the question the response is it's the time the time that I took to prepare myself that has been the difference and it is also shown in the way I feel and the result will be shown uh, in, the, in the fight gracias Alberto and I also got to ask Andrew Cancio a little bit about the his future as the WBA Super Featherweight Champion obviously if he comes out on top he hit, you know, that division is so deep. It's so stacked. And I, I personally love this, this division. But when you look at what this, uh, what this division has to offer, you got Gervonta Davis, you got Miguel Bechelt, you got Jamel Herring, you got plenty of other guys that you can make fantastic fights with. So, but here's a, but you know, but there's a lot that he kind of needs to take care of. First of all, he needs to take care of Alberto Machado first. And after that, he also has to potentially take care of a mandatory challenger in Rene Alvarado. And I asked him about that. You know, does Rene, does Rene Alvarado get a shot next? Or would you want to go up against Gervonta Davis immediately after this fight? Or what, what, is, what plans does Andrew Cancio, the new super featherweight champion of the world, has when it comes to his post Machado plans, if he does defeat Machado once again on June 21st at the Fantasy Spring Resorts Casino on the Zone. My first question for Andrew, I mean, obviously you're one of those title holders at 130 pounds, and if you do come out on top in this rematch once more, is your goal to sort of go after the other title holders at that weight class? I would eventually like to, but um, I know Rene Alvarado has been in the whole mandatory, uh, and I know he's patiently waiting uh, for the Machado to, to um, end this little little beef right here. And then um, if I were to come out victorious, like I'm so going to, I would like to give him the opportunity to fight for the world title. Um, him and I had a very great first uh, first fight when we fought um, years back, and um, he's been on a on a win streak ever since, so I feel like it would be only appropriate for me to give him the opportunity to um, to fight and uh, 
try to win the world title against me. And then hopefully um, after that, then yes, if I come out of the first with him, I would uh, definitely go after the other title um, um, holders. You know, the title, obviously, in the WBA at 130 pounds, you have one of the two titles. Javante Davis has the other, but kind of going back the lineage of the title, Alberto Machado won the title when he beat Jair Corrales, when that was considered I guess, the sole definitive title. Do you consider this fight and for any other future fights with the belt that you have right now to be for the true definitive WBA Super Featherweight Championship? I would. Um, I think Javante Davis needs to step out of his shell and start fighting um, some real opposition. And I would love to fight him um, in the future or as soon as we can make it happen if, if everything goes well. But yes, uh, I think Machado had a, he was on the field and he was fighting a lot of the top oppositions to win this world title. And I, I do feel like um, he was a true 140 pound champion. Thanks, Andrew. Best of luck to the both of you. Buena suerte a los dos. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you want my prediction for this fight, as much as I would love Puerto Rico to get another champion, I do think that there is something to Andrew Cancio's you know, confidence level heading into this fight and the way he recovered from that first knockdown against Alberto Machado and the way he just dominated Machado in the ensuing rounds. I think there is something to Cancio being a true legitimate uh, elite fighter, 130 pounds. Now, do I think this fight is going to be as short as their first encounter? No, I don't think so. I think this is going to be a longer fight. I think we're going to see a more measured Alberto Machado. I think he's going to take the first few rounds to sort of get himself in a good rhythm, establish the jab a little bit, maybe throw the right hand on occasion, but not going to see anything too crazy in the first couple of rounds. And I think the middle rounds, we're kind of starting to see the fireworks that we saw in the first fight. And ultimately, I think Cancio stops Alberto Machado late, maybe the 10th, 11th round. And I think Andrew Cancio goes on to retain his WBA Super Featherweight Championship. Lastly, you got to talk about this Cancio Ioka and Athen Polite fight. And I brought on a special guest to talk about that with me. So, for those of you who weren't aware, Kazuto Ioka became the new WBO Super Flyweight Champion when he beat Aston Palikte on a fight that was streamed on UFC Fight Pass. Incredibly enough, the M yes, the MMA streaming site actually streamed a, a boxing card from Japan. And it was a very fun fight. Yoka was very, was very, very good in this fight. It was very cool, calm, and collected, in my opinion. And then you look at, you know, the way he performed. It was outstanding. It was, you know, he, his upper body movement was fantastic. His defensive awareness was spectacular. Footwork was on point. It was frustrating Aston Palite, the much taller and longer Aston Palite. Uh, throughout this fight, Palite wasn't able to land the right hand to save his life. He was aggressive, but he didn't really do anything that was all too effective on Kazuto Yoka. But that's enough about me. It's time to bring on our special guest, Nick Skoke of Ring TV and Ring Magazine. You can follow him on Twitter at NoSparring. 
Take a listen as we, as Nick and I, discuss Kazuto Ioka and what the future means for the new WBO Super Flyweight Champion. Joining me now on the podcast is someone who I've been able to make great friends with in the last few weeks over our love of Japanese boxing and our love of five guys who we both agree is the best <laughs> burger in the United States, bar none. Nick Skoke of Ring Magazine, or if you follow him on Twitter, no sparring. Nick, thanks so much for coming to the show and talk this really, really good and really interesting Kazuto Ioka and Aston Police Day fight from Chiba Japan yesterday. Nick, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on the show again. I really appreciate the uh, the hospitality and yeah, Five Guys is is you know you're making me hungry right now. It's just about lunchtime out here on the West Coast. Um, but yeah. Great midweek fight between Ioka and, and Palik Day. I, I love that we don't have to wait all the way until the weekend to get a really solid action fight like that. Um, what did you What did you think of the fight? You know, it's really interesting because there was a part of me that was kind of thinking this fight could end up being really, really good. And for the most part, I thought it was actually pretty good. The action was really great. Palik Day did his job in trying to make the fight, you know, as aggressive and as exciting as possible. And Yoko had a really smart game plan in sort of negating Polite's length by making him by making Polite really reach and miss with those wild punches. His footwork was phenomenal. Defensive awareness was on point. Ioka was simply phenomenal. I was kind of waiting for a moment in the fight where it was kind of gonna get into second gear and really get action packed. And I don't think we really quite got that. But that was really more so from a really smart game plan from Kazuto Ioka. And you can tell like. Right after the seventh round, where Polite just threw wild haymakers yeah. left and right throughout the first half of the round, and he kind of mm-hmm. tied himself out. I remember Yoka throwing a, a wild left hand, a left hook upstairs that kind of hurt Aston Polite late in the seventh round. I kind of thought to yeah. myself, "This, you know, this fight is—I don't want to say it's over, but Yoka is really going to start." dominating this fight if he wasn't already so for those of you who didn't watch it it was the fight was on UFC Fight Pass it, it's interesting for a number of reasons and we'll get into that and the first one is this was the first world title fight UFC Fight Pass has shown ever since Roy Jones Jr. Boxing Promotions and UFC signed this multi-year promotional and broadcast deal and secondly is that Ioka became the first Japanese man and second ever Japanese fighter in history to win world titles in four different weight classes, the other being Naoko Fujioka, who did it in five different weight classes. And this, you know, the story of Ioka in relation to his popularity in in Japan is very interesting and very controversial. Uh, You know this far better than I do, but it said there was a lot of you know, personal drama involving him and his now ex-wife, and you know, he wasn't well-liked in Japan for, for a while. Yeah, it's a very interesting story and one that I just sort of keep learning about um, the more you know, information that comes my way. A lot, you know, everything that I get has to be translated or I have to learn, you know, secondhand. And so I'm always playing catch up out there. But the great news is, is uh, I'm one of the few people 
from the Western side of things that gets a chance to learn any of these secrets, and then I get a chance to share them with everyone else. And so we're sort of learning about these older uh, soap opera dramas that have been sort of playing out over there for a while. And yeah, Kazuto Ioka has been a mainstay in the Japanese boxing scene for several years, um, constantly headlining some of their more prolific shows on New Year's Eve. And that being their, their biggest uh, night of the year for boxing became the biggest face of boxing until Ryota Murata came around. Anyways, uh, fast forward a little bit later on to, into his career, and Ioka ends up you know, using his fame to meet and marry a beautiful, uh, famous singer um, who goes by the name of Nana, and, and she was not a fan of, of his uh, boxing uh, whatsoever. Meanwhile, um, Yoka's father had a bit of a, I don't even want to call it a run-in with uh, Yakuza, the Japanese mafia. He, from what I've been told, um, is the Japanese Yakuza. And that being said, there were some tax evasion issues, and his gym was forced to close. And so with the gym closing and with now some family issues brewing and with his new wife not wanting him to be a fighter anymore because, you know, she'd rather go out and, you know, be in front of cameras where, you know, everyone looks good as opposed to having black and blue eyes. Um, Yoka called it quits for a while. He took, you know, 18 to 24 months off. Um, as this progressed, Yoka was sort of seeing the how well the Superflies were doing out in America and really started to catch the bug again to want to fight. He didn't like the fame or notoriety that he had in Japan and was now just wondering if he could just fight in America away from all of the distractions. But the distractions never stopped. Because even being out in Vegas, um, you know, he, he stayed distracted, ended up meeting someone else. I, I don't think it was actually Vegas, but it was another Japanese woman. And uh, ends up cheating on his very beautiful uh, wife and ends up knocking this, uh, knocking this mistress up. Um, that, in conjunction with the fact he wanted to come back and be a fighter, um, forced the two of them to get a very public divorce. And Nana actually <laughs> posted the divorce the divorce papers online on Twitter to show everyone. I've never no. seen anyone post divorce papers on Twitter before. No way. I did not yeah. see that. Yeah, so as this continued to play out, then the father started to come back in the mix a little bit and started to try to support his son uh, from afar. But... Um, Yoko was not allowed to fight in Japan because he was not registered to any specific gym. So we saw him on the Superfly 3 card in L.A., and then we saw him headlining a card last New Year's Eve in Macau. And it wasn't only until recently, in the last couple of months, that he signed uh, to a new gym um, out of Tokyo, in Saitama, actually, just uh, north of Tokyo. And he was now able to, once again, fight in Japan and made his quote-unquote homecoming, but being the Japanese culture and what it is, you know, the media had to had to scrutinize him, even if they didn't really disagree with some of the things he did or didn't do. They had to, you know, say, hey, you know, we're not exactly a fan of this guy. He's, he doesn't represent the sort of values that the Japanese culture is, is there to, to, to showcase, and therefore we're not exactly a fan of his, and he can be the sort of quasi- uh, bad guy. He, he could be. He, he's kind of like a Floyd Mayweather, if you will. But because Floyd was always a massive viewer, uh, you know, a, a massive um, showcase and a, a huge um, uh, money guy. But people didn't like him. Uh, most people tuned in because they loved to hate him. They wanted to see him lose. And I think, to some degree, there might be some of that. Um, 
some of that in Japan. But on the flip side, it's like they're also rooting for them because they're rooting for their countrymen. So they're in this sort of clash of of, 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 of contradictions where do we want to root for him because he's our countryman or do we want to root against him because he's just not exactly the most upstanding upstanding guy. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Mayweather because I remember in the UFC Fight Pass broadcast they were mentioning how there were certain parts of Mayweather's game where where you can kind of see it in the Kazuto Yoka from the footwork, from the defensive abilities. But, you know, I think Yoka, at least pound for pound, hits much harder than Floyd ever did throughout his career. And he doesn't have the, the soft, brittle hands that Mayweather had to deal with throughout the second half of his career. But, yeah, I can, I can kind of see where you're coming from. So now with this win... It's, it's really interesting to gauge where does Ioka rank among, like, who are the most popular stars in Japanese boxing? Because for a long time, it was, you know, Ryota Murata kind of laid claim to that. But, you know, yeah. I don't know how much that, that is true ever since he lost to Rob Brand. Now, yeah, Inoue is slowly right. becoming this absolute international megastar. Then you got plenty of other guys who are also on the ride. Guys like Kosei Tanaka, Ken Shiro, yeah. Hiroto Kiyoguchi. Yeah, so all, all of those guys are, are very interesting. So obviously a new way is doing his thing. And a lot of it is tied also to the network. So is what we've seen is Murata has been carried by Fuji TV and as has um, uh, a to some extent as well. So uh, the two of them are on the big time network of, of Fuji TV. We, we see now um, uh, Ken Shiro is going to be on the Murata undercard. So they're trying to build his profile up as well. But Kosei Tanaka, you mentioned, he's, you know, a three-division champion already um, after 12 fights. But he's he's out there in uh, Nagoya, and he's really not getting much publicity or exposure out there yet. So he's sort of, he's not close to the other guys um, to this to this point. Um, Kyoguchi, who was on the undercard of the Ioka fight, um, him and Ioka are both fighting under the TBS banner, Tokyo Broadcast System. And that's where the Watanabe gem has sort of um, kept their fighters. They've been able to secure fights on New Year's Eve the last couple of years after Ioka uh, went into a semi-retirement with um, with what he was doing. Um, so they had Ryoichi Ryo Taiguchi featured on TBS. They've had Kyoguchi featured a couple of times, and they've had a, you know their fighters on there. So it's really dependent on the networks and what they want to do with it. Um, that being said, the fight that's really being built outside of this um, that we're seeing is is Kyoguchi, who is on the undercard, and he um, is the WBA champion, um, and also Ken Shiro, who is the WBC champion in the junior flyweight division. He's going to be featured on the Murata undercard, and so what their plan is to do is to have them both win, have them both take care of a mandatory, and then hopefully have them unify at the end of the year. But if we go back to who's the, the top dog in the Japanese boxing world, right now I think Murata still... He's still clinging to hope. Um, he's got the Rob Brandt rematch coming up in July. He's got the home field advantage in Osaka, which isn't far from his hometown of Nara. Um, and if he should come out victorious in that, you know, we could see the Murata game, you know, pick back up in speed and and, uh, and and what goes with that. Meanwhile, Inoue isn't going anywhere, and um, Ioka's there too. So right now, it's just um, we're in this golden era of Japanese boxing. Yeah, I... I totally agree with that sentiment. I've noticed that there is not just, 
you know, a greater interest in Japanese boxing inside of Japan, but also from outside. And I think that's partly due to all these different networks and streaming services kind of, you know, giving us international fans a much better opportunity to watch these fights. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer to have to wake up, like, really early in the morning to have to watch these fights. But I think the hardcore fans who know how great these fights can be, I think they're more than happy to wake up. I was more than happy to wake up at 8 a.m. to watch the fight uh, on Wednesday. And overall, I mean, looking at Ioka's resume, it's incredible how deep that resume is, all the names that he's faced, all the titles that he's won. And at the very least, he is not the worst fourth division title holder in this, I think it's like now 19 or 20 guys who have won titles in four different weight classes. I, th I think that Adrian Broner processes the weakest resume out of all those guys. By, but it, it, what's interesting, because I believe it was, I don't remember, maybe it was Jimmy Smith on the UFC broadcast who was essentially saying that this is a guy who, at the end of his career, we will more than likely see him have a place in Canastota, New York, in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And on paper, the resume is already there. It's hard to really argue that he doesn't, or at least, you know, deserve cons uh, serious consideration for the Hall of Fame. And I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts are on Ioka's in-ring career. Because it's outside of the outside of the ring. It's a completely different story. But inside the ring, it's hard to argue Ioka's accomplishments. Uh, you know, being a four division world champion. Absolutely. I mean, I think. The, uh, the announcers, right? I didn't actually watch it on the UFC Pass. I watched the Japanese version, which I've become a little bit accustomed to. And uh, just kind of going off on a tangent for a second, it's funny watching the Japanese uh, broadcast a bit because the the rounds are actually counted up to three minutes. It starts at one second, goes up to three minutes. Whereas you know we count down to zero, and you you know you hear the sticks click at with ten seconds left. So I get a little bit confused sometimes how much time is left in the round. But um, yeah, going back to Yoka, I think he probably did get punch his ticket to the Hall of Fame there. Um, when you're a four division champion, it's got to be a gimme. Um, you're right about his accomplishments inside the ring. I mean, his only losses were to uh, uh, Ruin Rung uh, earlier on and then uh, Donnie Nietes, who himself became a four-division champion with uh, with that win. So, um, Yoko has done, I think, more than enough to uh, to validate himself there. And now the question is, where does he go from here? Um, it's a stacked division. We had the Superfly you know, tournaments, if you want to call them that, um, going on on HBO for a few years. But actually, through all of that, we never actually saw a single unification. So I think is what we really need to see in this division is some type of uh, unification, whether it be between Ioka and one of the other champions, Estrada, Yafire, and Akahas, or just any of those other guys mix and match them uh, together. So it's, it's really curious to see where Ioka goes from here. Um, he has options um, because that was um, a mandated fight. Um, he should have a voluntary next. Um, so some options within the WBO uh, rankings might be Akira Yegashi, who himself is a three-time, a three-division champion out of Japan. Um, you have um, uh, uh, Sho Ishida, who's there for the taking, and then there's another uh, mandatory fight that's uh, it's an eliminator that's being played out between um, Koki Ito and then a uh, Puerto Rican um, uh, Javier uh, Cintron. So yeah, Javier Cintron. Yeah, that fight is, is, is in the makings, and they're going to, I think, fight in August, but he might not be... Their scheduling is a little bit off right now, I think, for a direct fight um, with Ioka, right? 
Yeah, yeah, uh, they said, I actually, like, five minutes before you called, uh, uh, BoxRec Gray on Twitter, who basically is, you know, the at least the public face of BoxRec.com, he said that that fight's gonna be in Florida on August 2, so... Yeah, so the timing-wise, you know, it's looking like the winner of that fight might just be mandated for 2020 and not, you I know, for so. 2019. Because and, and I expect that fight to be a title eliminator, given that these two are going to be in the top three of the WBO rankings when the new updates... Uh, actually, they should be coming out in any time soon, actually. So I don't think the... So yeah, so I don't think that fight's going to happen. Uh, until 2020, but I mean, there's at least for domestic fights in Japan, there were a lot of good fights out there for Ioka, and and you mentioned potential unifications. You were, you revealed on Twitter right before we started recording about the priorities for one Juan Francisco Estrada and Derwin Ancajas, who are the WBC and the IBF Super Flyweight Champions, respectively. Um, you know, floor is yours if you want to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So I, I was just um, uh, going back and forth to Sean Gibbons, who's a pretty powerful and influential um, advisor in the game. He's got a lot of um, names under his banner, uh, the most notable being Manny Pacquiao. And he obviously helps out with the Manny Pacquiao promotions and the fighters that go along with it. Um, uh, one being Jerwin and Cajas, a very uh, credible champion at um, 115, the IBF champion. And uh, Sean went ahead and informed me that their priority right now is to make a unification. Um, barring that Cajas um, can get uh, his mandatories all taken care of and that Estrada can get his mandatories all taken care of. Um, they would like to have Uncajas um, go up against uh, El Gallo, uh, Juan Francisco Estrada in, in the very near future. And so that, I think, would be um, something that's been missing from the super flyweight division. And, and if, if I you know, had any say, I would make that fight probably for the Ring Magazine Championship because I would put them as the top two uh, champions at 115 right now, even after Ioka's performance, which is brilliant. Um, but I kind of feel like he's got more to prove in the division, whereas Estrada has, I think, is probably the number one guy in the division that Akahas has, you know, just continues to win. And if we're talking about all the other champions, I think Yafai is probably the, the weakest of the bunch. Um, so I, I would I would probably want to see Estrada and Cajas made for the, the Ring Magazine Championship belt for the number one overall, uh, you know, super fly guy there. But yeah, if, if that gets made, I think that's great for the division, and I think that just sets up more possibilities for everyone else, um, Yoka included. And, uh, you know, Cajas is tied with ESPN and Estrada's with the zone, but that shouldn't be a problem because, as we just saw, another unification was just made between uh, Hooker and Ramirez, and that fight's coming up. So if if Top Rank and 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 um, Dizone are making deals, you know that's that's fine by me. This is good for boxing, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I'm all for that fight. That's you know I, I think that could potentially be fight of the year worthy, especially with how great Jerwin Ancajas looked in his fight against Ryoichi Funai. Uh, last month, so I, you know, I fully expect this to be a fantastic fight, whatever is going to take place. Um, but, you know, Nick, thank you so much for 
coming out to the show. I really do appreciate Absolutely. it. I always love talking Japanese boxing with you. Always learn a little bit more about the local boxing scene there, and you do outstanding work. If you guys want to check him out on Twitter, it's at No Sparring. Does great work for Ring TV, and I look forward to talking to you again, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can catch up in July after the Murata and uh, Kenshiro fights. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to seeing those fights. And again, Nick, thanks so much for coming on board. Awesome. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you next time. And that was Nick Skoke of Ring TV and Ring Magazine. On Twitter, you can follow him at No Sparring. Really, really great guest. I love talking Japanese boxing with him. He's a great guy. I love his work that he does out there and truly loves the Japanese boxing scene. So I do recommend checking his work out. And I think that about does it for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at CarlosDoro360. Go ahead and subscribe to our new Fightful MMA Unboxing YouTube channel. You haven't already. Leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. Hit it, give us a thumbs up. Comments if you have any questions you want me to answer in any future episodes. Or you just want to give your, any feedbacks, positive or negative. All is welcome. From this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast, I'm Carlos Toro of Fightful.com. Signing out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.